0: Romans chapter 6, a very familiar chapter for many of you, most of you, perhaps not all of you, but there is a tremendous amount in this one chapter of truth, obviously, but of the depth of what was accomplished on the cross by Jesus, whom we call the Christ. And so we go to the first verse, and you should read chapter 5, I'm not going to, for the context. And then go over to chapter 7 for further context for chapter 8, because these chapters run together. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Simple title taken from the first verse for this message, Shall We Continue in Sin? And while I was meditating on these verses, the last couple of days actually, was various thoughts that came to my mind that I'd like to share some of them with you. We all know that one thing that is absolutely inevitable in life is that we're going to die. And it's not a pleasant subject to talk about, perhaps not even to think about. But I would submit to you That in order to live a life that is not only pleasing to God, which would be first, but a life that is displaying wisdom of what I've just shared with you. It takes a knowledge, at least a visitation periodically, that you're going to die. And over these long years, of course, I've seen so much, I've heard so much. I want to share with you a story, which is true, of a cousin of mine. After I was born again, my wife and I were born again, there was one of our family members who was asking me some questions or just sharing with me what he called a spiritual moment. Now, to my knowledge, I am the first, not the only one now, but I was the first in my family that I know of that was born again. Anyway, this relative of mine began to share that he and his wife had a spiritual experience and he told me this story. He had a daughter who had some type of mental handicap, and I don't really remember exactly what it was, that eventually she needed to be put into a home where she can be properly cared for. And so it was their habit to go and visit their daughter and just spend the day with her. I believe it was every weekend, but I know it was frequently. And one day as they went to the home where she was and they took her out, which is their habit, go for a ride or go someplace, and I remember, she's more than a bit mentally handicapped. She was in a home. They were driving past a cemetery, and she was sitting in the back seat, and she said to her father and to her mother, you know, pretty soon I'm going to be in there. And this, of course, shocked the parents, and they immediately said, don't talk like that. Don't say that. A little while later, she asked her mother for a new dress. She says, I want to look pretty when they put me in the coffin. And again, the parents are really surprised at the things that she's saying, keeping in mind that she is mentally handicapped, but she's speaking in a way that is beyond, you know, just a handicap. A little later after that, she asked her mom to do all of her fingernails, polish them, because she said she wanted to look pretty in the coffin. Well, after several of these type of statements, they really didn't know what to make of it. And it was just a couple of days later that this home called to say that their daughter had passed away. How does a person know How does a person who is not quite up to, let's say like an IQ would be a good example. There's average IQ, then there's below average where you're not too quick. How do they know that? This past week, my wife received a phone call from her cousin that her son had suddenly just passed away. Now, from my perspective, he was 51. That would be, you know, fairly young. I know for some of you that's old. She found him there on the bathroom floor, but he also had some type of mental, we'll call it mental illness. I don't care for that phrase, but I'll just use it because it's best understood if I use that phrase, mental illness. And he had it for many, many years. He was very troubled, troubled mind. And he was having some issues with his breathing or whatever, and he kept telling his mother, I'm going to die. We got to see the doctor. We got to go to the emergency room. And, you know, basically don't talk like that. Now, within the last seven days, she found him in the bathroom. And he's dead. For me, this truth has never, ever left my mind, as I've made this known to you before. That I know that I'm gonna die. I don't know when. And I do pray for an extended life that I can serve the Lord. That's my main objective. But I don't know when. I passed 51 a long time ago. Patricia, who is the name of a second cousin, actually, third cousin, was fairly young. And I'm just simply saying to you, that, in my opinion, this is a subject to be visited every so often. You're going to die. But what is it after that? I spent some time last night researching, not this message, but I was pretty much done with this. I wanted to divert my mind, and I was studying on some other things, the theology. And honestly, the more I read, the more frustrated I became, to some degree confused, but not really and the more i read from various points of view the more grateful i was for this book i've said to you for whatever god's good reason is this is the only book that doesn't confuse me others you have to think things through sometimes necessarily so and properly so but this is the only book that doesn't confuse me in any case if we all know that we're going to die why is this, this is my question, why is this not a preoccupying thought in the minds of every human being on the planet about what's next? Is there anything? I saw what I believe is a Christian comedian sing some Christian songs, but he was singing them from an atheist point of view. I thought that, actually, we thought it was pretty clever. We know the song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. Well, he switched the lyrics as if it was in an atheist's context. No one loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. None are precious in his sight. No one loves the little children of the world. That was pretty good because that's the point of view from people who have no faith at all. Nobody loves you. Well, you may say my father, my mother, my family. OK, but beyond that, what's beyond that? If you don't believe there's a God, no one loves you up there. There's no one there. I am saying that I do believe from my own point of view that this subject of death should be visited in the mind of any intelligent individual from time to time. I visit it more than most people do, I think, so that I don't waste my life. Honestly, at this stage, at this age, that concerns me more than any one thought. My wife knows. We've talked about it enough. Don't want to waste my time (laughs) because the sand in the hourglass is not all that much left. How much? I don't know. just don't want to waste my time because I know what's waiting me on the other side. Sure, it's hope and all that we sang about, which is all true. But I have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for my time, for my talents and what I did. And I understand why people don't think this way. But for me, it's still perplexing and a bit frustrating when people do not consider their end. What happens next? some never think about it they don't want to know some have made a presumptuous conclusion whoever's on the other side whatever god they talk about it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment i want to read something to you that's a bit of a parenthetical statement to this message but i believe it has relevance we sang today created me a clean heart that old uh, chorus song I've been around for decades now create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, a right spirit, with correct thinking, sober-minded thinking, make me to know my end, and the measure of my days what it is that I may apply my heart unto wisdom. But this is something that I want to just share with you, again, as a parenthetical statement. It's called The Autopsy of a Pastor, and the author's name is Thomas Rayner. He writes, they are the walking dead. They are dead emotionally. Their vision and passion is dead. Their spiritual life has little life at all. They're burned out. Many have died vocationally. Others are waiting for burial. How did these pastors die? He writes, my figurative autopsies uncovered eight common patterns. This is similar to what I gave you a week or so back from Howard Hendricks about why pastors, 246 of them, fell into immorality. I gave you those reasons. This is specifically about pastors once again. Some pastors manifest four or five of them. Many manifest all of them. This is what he says. Number one, speaking of pastors, they said yes to too many members. In order to avoid conflict and criticism, these pastors tried to please most church members. Their path was not sustainable. Their path was unhealthy, leading to death, spiritual death. Not necessarily salvation, just ineffective as a preacher. Number two, they said no to their families. For many of these pastors, their families became an afterthought or no thought at all. Many of their children are now grown and resent the church. They have pledged never to return. You would not believe this. I'm just going to give you my own little story here. Someone barging in my house while we're eating supper kicks my dog and he just shoves my dog because he was barking because this is a stranger. Come in and made all kinds of accusations about me in front of my whole family. Uh, stupid stuff. Stuff you'd hear of someone who's psychotic state. And he wasn't psychotic. It happens, folks. And there's application for you. That's why I'm reading this. They said no to their families. They said yes to too many church members. Number three, their spouses felt betrayed as if they were no longer loved, desired, or wanted. Some of these pastors have lost their families to divorce and estrangement. Which is sadly true. Number four, they got too busy to remain in the word and in prayer. Simply stated, they got too busy for God. And then he points to Acts chapter 6, what the early church did when they said, hey, we got problems in the soup kitchen. And the apostle says, it is not right that we should be down there serving food. We have to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that's where deacons in the church were born. Acts chapter 6, read it. Number five, they died a slow death from the steady drip of criticisms. Pastors are human. Yeah, I know. That's an obvious statement. We sometimes expect them to take the ongoing criticisms from members as if they were rocks. But a steady drip can destroy even the most solid rocks. Number six, they were attacked by the cartel. Not all churches have cartels, but many do. A church cartel is an alliance of bullies. Bully followers, carnal Christians, and even non-Christians in the church. Their goal is power. Their obstacle is the pastor. Many pastors have died because cartels killed them. We're talking about little groups in the church. To my knowledge, we don't have any here. But we did in the past. I can remember walking up the stairs on Good Friday. My heart felt like it had the weight of an anvil. When I had just found out hours before, there were some people in the church had a special, unannounced, private prayer meeting, praying for the pastor. Translated, that means, they're out to get me. And it was someone that I trusted more than others at the time. Just as he's reading the scriptures. Cartels in the church. By the way, that's why what was said in prayer was in my mind. And I said, God, this is you speaking to the church. If you say you love God, if you don't love one another, I would seriously go before God and start to question whether you really have God's spirit. I don't care how much of the Bible you know or how much time you spend in it. I've been a reader all my life. I can speak intelligently on a number of subjects. That doesn't mean I'm a physicist. It doesn't mean I'm a medical doctor, an anatomist, or anything else. It just means I'm well-read. And it's not just reading the Scriptures. It's putting them to practice. So I read you this because it has application not just for me, obviously. It has application for everybody. His seventh reason that pastors die spiritually Pastors without vision and passion are dying pastors. They sought to please others before God. People pleasing pastors can fast become dying pastors. The problem is that you can never please all the members all the time. If pastors try, they die. Then, eight, they had no defenders in the church. Imagine a dying person with no medical intervention. That person will die. Imagine pastors without members who will stand by these leaders. Imagine pastors where members are too cowardly to stand up to cartels. If you can imagine that, then you can imagine a dying pastor. By the way, this form of death is often the most painful. The pastor is dying without anyone to help or intervene. So these things go on. And I'm reading it to you not so much that you would understand what I do, my calling, which is good that you do know it, by the way. I'm enlarging on that entry to say this applies to all of us. You lost your time in the book. You lost your time in prayer. Church attendance. I was reading, this is, let me just use the word depressing. As I'm doing this extra study, I realized I should have been looking at something else and not studying this stuff. But I must know these things. And I'm reading about how much church attendance has fallen off in the last, just the last few years. Primarily since COVID, but it's been falling off for quite some time. People feel no need to go to a church service. And the book speaks against that. But hey, can't take everything in the Bible seriously. Pick and choose like we do in the supermarket. Or in an argument of logic, you cherry pick what you will talk about, what you will not discuss. If we do not obey the word of God, and I thought about this some time ago, my title is pastor. Some people call me reverend, some people say rev. Uh, Very few people call me by my first name. Some do, very few. But because of my title, that's not my ticket to heaven. Well, he was a pastor, so he must have made it. We look at leadership in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament, Judas being one of them, and they didn't make it to the kingdom. Ancient Israel, some of them, most of them, never made it to the promised land. They marched around for 40 years. Imagine the conversations of a 60-year-old Jew saying, I've been 40 years with Moses. Yeah, 40 years opposing him. 40 years complaining about walking in circles. And do not ever mistake growth, as we sang before about higher ground. If you're walking in a circle, you're going nowhere. Even if you're adding scripture verses to your nowhere journey. So I say that we can apply these things to any of us. How many people are burning out in the world? But the one thing that we should know is that it's not Jesus that burns us out. I went before the Lord years ago, many years ago, And I was feeling burnt out. And some of you who have been with me a while know I have burnt out on occasions. Once it was serious. But I went before the Lord. My heart was heavy about a lot of things. If you're a pastor and you actually care about the people that you pastor, it's a burden. If I didn't care about you, I would be the most lighthearted person on the planet. If I didn't care about my family, didn't care about my relatives, didn't care about people's salvation, I'd be very lighthearted. But when you really care about people... It brings a burden. So I'm sitting at the dinner table, and I was alone. No one was home. Kids were in school. Wife was out. And I went before the Lord, and I said, Lord, if your yoke is easy and your burden is light, why am I so heavy? Why do I feel so heavy? And I'll never forget this intuitive sense inside me. I won't say it was a voice, but it was an intuitive sense inside me that said, you're not carrying my yoke. Because my name is on this list in the past. How did I learn from very hard and very bad experience? Very hard and very bad experience. That, first of all, you could put a yoke around your own neck that God didn't give you. If you're in my position, you got people putting yokes around your neck of what they expect when it's not a biblical expectation. And you take it from there. Your boss, your family, whatever. My point is that you don't want anything to take your eyes off of Jesus. And what he said and in order to know jesus you have to read what he said i can accomplish only so much on a sunday morning with an hour of preaching and an hour by today's standard is forever an hour you've had people say how long does your pastor preach?" i've heard him on the radio or watch him live stream <laughs> we well, preach for an hour an hour <laughs> ah. see for them church is one-stop shopping it's just bing bang boom scan their card, and they're out. And I'm telling you, you cannot master this book with that type of a situation. And I'm inviting you to join me on Facebook because I teach for an hour every day. And it will do you good. But I'll leave that with you. I know I'm doing everything I can do to reach as many people as I can. As long as my health holds up, I'll continue to do it. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Because that's what I'm going to do. Three things I'd just like to bring to you today. Number one, what is sin? Number two is, what's the penalty of sin? And then number three, what is the remedy of sin? Let me say to you quickly, as I have in the past, but it bears repeating. There are certain things we never hear from many, if not most, American pulpits. We hear nothing about hell. In fact, we don't even hear anything about heaven, sin, sanctification, holiness, and so on. And I know that you here, the majority of you, are biblically literate. You understand that these doctrines make up the Bible, the entire Bible. is the foundation. But we don't because we're living in those days where the church, or the tears within the church are causing a falling away from the faith and The faith of Christ is found here in this book. So we read these words. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You'd have to read chapter 5 to understand the context, but I'll give it to you. To answer the question, what is sin? Sin means, by definition, to not have a share in something. If Donald Trump predeceases me, which he well may, Do not even spend any time looking in the newspapers to see that I'm on the list for the inheritance. (laughs) I have no share in his estate whatsoever. Or Bill Gates, or Elon Musk, or any of the billionaires, millionaires, or very wealthy people in the world. Don't look for me and my name in the estate, in reconciling their estate, because I don't have a share in it. Well, you say, yeah, of course. But what the Bible states is that if a person is not born again, they have no share in eternal life. So all of this that I mentioned before, death, what happens next. And you hear people say, well, I think, or, you know, Descartes said, and all these philosophers. And you have to put them up against what Jesus said. In this case, the Apostle Paul. What did those who learned from Christ say? What did Jesus say? That for us is our faith. What is sin? Sin means you do not have a share in the life to come. Doesn't mean there's not eternity in hell. Just means you don't have a share in the life that you actually want to be beyond this world. And I'll say this again. I'll say it both ways. You know it's getting easier and easier to love the Lord and hate the world. You know it's getting easier and easier to hate the Lord and love the world. That's the truth. The divide is now so great. Let me go to the second one first. It's getting easier and easier to hate Jesus and love the world. I'm in the gas station yesterday, and this uh, big SUV pulls up, nice and clean truck, and it's vibrating. <laughs> 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 now, the truth of it is that the music was sold out. All the windows were up. There was no windows open, just the truck is vibrating. I could hear the lyrics coming through the window, mm-hmm. F and this and F that and mother Effer and all this stuff. I can't tell you what went through my mind because it's illegal. But I said to myself, now, here's a man that needs Jesus. Now, I just a little, again, a little parenthetical statement. You know what's amazing? And I came from a rough neighborhood. A rough neighborhood. But back then, occasionally you would hear a girl use a bad word. Now it's routine. Give yes. me the finger this and that, this and that. I passed by a young woman who I have a very high opinion of. I like her a lot. She knows me. She always called me Pastor Ray. And I had my earphones in, but I could hear what she was saying. I just happened to pull them out when I was passing her by. I said, you know, my music was loud enough that I couldn't hear your vulgarity, which obviously I did. She said, oh, good. Well, who am I? I'm just a man. But what I'm saying is that we need to appreciate what sin actually is. It's more than just making a mistake. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I have too. But the book says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we have two choices at this point. We believe it or we don't. Just like I just said. For me, it's getting easier. I'm getting very vexed and annoyed and frustrated with the world. But for me, that's a good thing. Others are getting frustrated and vexed with the church, the book, and Bible, and preaching, so they just grab onto the world. But... We read here in this book that prophesied things that have already occurred and is saying where this is all going. That This world will be judged by Christ. And it will be totally shut down. And his kingdom will come. As much as I am not a part of the estate of any billionaire or millionaire, I thank God as we sang about it this morning, I do have shares in eternal life. Freely given, keep that in mind, freely given, but freely given does not mean you live however you want. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Well, the second verse is God forbid, but it's actually a colloquial way of expressing the Greek, which means may it never be. May it never be. God forbid. The first question is what shall we say? And the second question is how? I want you today, if you pass a cemetery on your way home, or when you're passing a cemetery, and this is again, this is something that I do. I just look in there. It serves as a reminder. Your number will come up. I just don't know when it is. Am I afraid? I'm not. Except that I don't want to have a thought that that day, that moment when I know I'm going to die, that I wasted my time. I don't want to waste. I'm not going to waste my time. I refuse to. I'm not wasting my time. We, or I should say, when you go past the cemetery, I want you to look in there. And you don't know anything about these people. Some of our cemeteries here are very old. Some are not. There's not one of them that will be arrested today for any crime against the state of New York or humanity. Not one. And there's only one reason, because they're dead. That's the only reason. There is nothing saying on anyone's tombstone that this one was better than the other. We don't know how much money they earned, who was rich, who was poor, who was We don't know. But the one thing we do know, there's no danger coming out of any cemetery in our area of people committing crimes or doing bad things because of one thing and one thing only. They're dead. And so in the second verse, we have the word how. How shall we that are dead to sin? live any longer therein. I don't know how people arrange this doctrine. It's not that we don't sin. We all know that we do sin. But and I think I shared this with you last week if not it was during my weekly broadcast. When you are truly saved and you sin against God, you're grieved. You're not looking to justify yourself in front of everybody. Well, you got to understand, I'm just what I understand is that you're a sinner saved by grace and by mercy. That's it. That goes back to loving one another. Look, come to me in private after this message and say, I'm better than everybody in this room. Yeah. <laughs> I will not argue if you're smarter. You may have a higher IQ than some. I will not argue that you're more well-read than some. But I'm going to give you a good statement. So come and see me. That you're no better than me. And you're no better than anybody else sitting next to you, behind you, around you. Christ saves sinners and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If the church would love people as much as they love God. Well, part of what I was reading last night that was so frustrating is these people are saying, what's wrong with the church? This was the subject I was looking up. And I'm amazed at all these bright minds. One man from a church, the church is literally dying. People are dying off. They're not coming back. He said, I don't care what they bring in. They can bring anything. They could bring in drums. Just something. Well, I felt pity for the man. I know what he was trying to say. Then I'm reading others and all these opinions. And I shut this. I was very frustrated. I said, again, I, I shouldn't have read this. should have just relaxed my mind. And then I thought again, what I've told you many times, and I'll tell you again now. What is all this relevance business that I'm hearing? We want our church to be relevant. If you're younger, I don't know what kind of younger, but... 30s 20s younger I don't have any tattoos so I make, do I have to go out and get some so I can relate to you younger people my past is really cool and by the way I did have an earring long before they were popular I don't have it now yep little loop little my mother loved it <laughs> she really did because she that made me cool but I was already young so I was cool there was a time when I was actually cool, and I'm telling you the truth, I really was. I was cool. Now, not so much. So what am I... Yes, thank you. Well, I know, I know. I just, humility prevented me from saying that. But am I supposed to go out and look like everybody else to be relevant? That, in my opinion, is just simply stupid. I'll tell you this. God has not changed at all. He's immutable. And Satan is irredeemable, so he hasn't changed, and neither has man. Man's needs are exactly the same as they were from the Garden of Eden, and they're the same today. To be relevant, you preach the word in season, out of season, and be ready to give an answer, and all of these things. That's relevance. God's way. Amen. By grace are you saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath to come. That's the gospel. So first is what? What is sin? It means not having a share in eternal life, which the presumption of so many people is that they do. They always die and go to a better place. Well, that's what we want to think. And if I wanted to be as popular as many preachers are, I would do the exact same things that they do. They just slip out pages from the Bible and never talk about them as if they didn't exist. But when I heard a preacher say one time, your problem is you got to read the Bible. (laughs) So I did. And I found out that in every single broadcast that he mentioned something, he took his verse out of context. And that helped me. I read the Bible back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And now I know whom I've believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That day, that day, that day of judgment. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? Well, you say, good thing I'm not an adulterer, and it is a good thing you're not an adulterer. Good thing I'm not a thief, and it is a good thing that you're not a thief. And I don't falsify my testimony, and I don't blaspheme the name of God, and all of this, and on and on. But I'm saying, look for the little foxes. Look for those little attitudes, anger, and who you don't want, all this stuff, the bitterness. Bitterness will rot your bones. Envy, all of this. I share with you here, because I'm your pastor, and I know most all of you fairly well, look for the little foxes. Look for those little deceptions that the devil's got a hook in your mouth. We talked about that last week. How shall we continue in those things? Because we are dead indeed to sinning. As someone has once said, I'm not what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And I'm not going to talk about that. It would more sound like braggadocia than anything else. But I'll tell you one thing. I was not the kind of guy you want. To tick him off. Never did much talking. Everything I did was always action. Not much talking at all. Didn't need to. But I'm dead to that now. And you're dead to that. Who you were is not relevant to who you are in Christ. And the pursuit of godliness. And the pursuit of holiness. What shall we say? Sin means you have no share in the coming kingdom and so on but how can you do it when you're dead that's what this is all about today when we baptize the candidates And by the way we're following the command of jesus i don't think i need to be baptized you better read the words of jesus again he didn't say this is like an option if you feel like doing it in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, whosoever believes and is baptized. Now, I don't want to get too technical with you today about baptismal regeneration, that you've got to be baptized to be saved. The thief on the cross had no time to be baptized. John the Baptist, well, that's self-explanatory. What did John the Baptist do? What did he do? The Baptist. Why was he a Baptist? Because he took people and put them in water. And the water is a sign of the grave or a cemetery. Dead indeed now to that life that you lived before. And then we bring them back up again. And the beauty of that biblical tradition, symbolism, it may be without true definition. Think of the worst thing that you've ever done. We have abortions. I've met pedophiles. Of course a lot of adulterers all kinds of stuff why go into the seedy details of some of these things that reach my ears i want you to think of your own life and i want you to think of the worst thing that you have done and i ask you have you really received jesus christ as your lord and savior that's going to be asked of every candidate that goes into that water have you really received jesus christ as your lord and savior and they're going to say yes then i want you to think of this blood of christ and take it by the handful And here's the book right here of your life, and the blood washes it. Amen. And you take more of Jesus' blood. And now, as you go through page after page after page, sin after sin after sin after sin after sin, cannot be seen, but all that can be seen is the blood. For when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I was once a sinner. I was once a sinner. We have all these great hymns and songs that talk about what we used to be. Now, here's the blood of Jesus. You try. You go and try. And find that sin that you committed. And all you're going to see is blood. All you're going to see is blood. Now, in your heart of hearts, you know, and we all know, that you're a sinner. But God is looking at you as if you never sinned once in your life. Jesus never did. Not even once. Never. Never. Holy, harmless, undefiled, without sin. And all of that has been given to you. It's been put into your bank account or your spiritual bank account. It's all been given to you no matter what you've done. It's washed. Apostle Paul will talk in another epistle about what we used to be. What you used to be. What you used to be. But he says, but you're washed. You're washed. Such were some of you, but you're washed by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he included me and you with him. That all of his righteousness, think about that. All of his righteousness is imputed to us. So that we can now do what no one had ever done before except the high priest. And that was only once a year. We can go into the veil that was split from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on Calvary. And we can approach God directly. You don't have to say to this one who's going to say to that one to go to that one to go to his mother to go over here to talk to Jesus. You can walk in and you can say, Abba, Father. As if you had never sinned. And the reason we go in so humbly is because we know we've sinned. And yet, God imputes to us the very righteousness that belongs to Jesus and it's ours. We're just saying there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Amen. Oh, yes, it's mine. Yes. As the white-robed angels sing the story, a sinner has come home. You, Lord. Thank you. How shall we continue in sin? We're dead to it. Look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as many of us, as were are baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? It's a grave marker. Now, some of you here that have been water baptized in other churches or lakes, rivers, streams, doesn't matter. And the exception is sprinkling. You don't sprinkle water on dead people. You put them in a hole. You put them in the ground. And they're buried. And when we put a candidate, a sinner, into the ground, that's the water, they're now dead. Let's leave them there just for a second. Not too long, but just leave them there for a second. (laughs) At that point, in the full immersion, which is what the word baptizo means baptism, baptism in Greek, means immerse, not sprinkle, immerse. That person, you, me, whoever, is now dead to sin. Dead to sin. Now, if we look at verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, right, resurrection, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's not talking about just life in general. It's talking about resurrected life. So now we pull this person back up. As the water is still just dripping off them, they're drenched, soaked. Now they walk in a new life. People who know you, you that are being baptized. I told you just a little while ago, I still have people who find it incredulous that I'm a minister. They really do. That may tell you a little bit about my background. They just find it incredulous. I've actually had people point out, if I put up an old picture, it says, oh, there it is. Look at those eyes. All right. But I'm washed. Amen. Amen. Someone just recently told me, he says, well, I don't know what you're doing there, Ray, but keep doing it. It seems to be working for you. I said, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Stinking-lutely. <laughs> you better believe it works. I'll tell you another thing. When you meet Christ and he actually removes all your fears... You are one intrepid individual. I don't have to fear what man does unto me. He kills my body. After that, there's nothing man can do. My only fear now is I've minimized my fears. Just down to one, the fear of the Lord. It's clean. And many promises attached to it. So we see that Christ, verse 4, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. That means now. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice it's a similitude. Similarly, as we are going into this watery grave, which is similar to burying a body. We are coming up out of the water, which is similar to the resurrection, which we walk in now. In the future, of course, yes. But now, we walk in that now. So I started to say, "So your friends notice a change, huh? And some don't like it. Oh, you've changed. (laughs) Yeah, I've changed. And I didn't want or need your permission. Whatever you think of me, I'm supernaturally indifferent to what you think. I sing. I sing. I used to sing before I was saved. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free." If his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. And you don't need to get permission from the family. You don't need to get permission from the government to be in the family of God, the family of Christ, which, by the way, is worldwide, obviously, the body of Christ. And some, as I say, they notice it. You know, some maybe they don't, but some notice it. The old saying was he got religion. I did not get religion. I had religion first. I got Jesus. Jesus. Jesus got me. And I like to always amend my statements when I say, uh, when I found Jesus. But I always change it and say, well, he wasn't lost. God isn't lost. God isn't, does anybody down there know where I am? He's saying, do you know where you are? Follow me. Follow Jesus. I've never regretted one single day of it. I'm telling you the truth. Walking in this newness of life. Some of you are here, you've been with me for a long, long time, and you remember Brother Joe Johnson. Many others know his brother Dan because he's with us at least once a year. Joe, even his own family would say this about him, but my opinion of Joe Johnson was that he was by far the best preacher I've ever heard. By far. Well, we had him scheduled to come in, do a few days of service, and when we were in two services on Sunday mornings, 8 and 10, I think that was the times. As he was getting older, I told him, I said, listen, Brother Joe, I'll do the first service so you don't, you know. He was getting older, so I wanted to spare him a bit. And you know how he would speak, for those of you who remember me, had this very low voice. All right, brother. So I was preaching on the cross. I was preaching about the blood. I was preaching a message similar to this one here, and that you need Jesus and all, all this. So we closed that service. The second service was about to start a little bit. And we were sitting in my office how you doing, brother? Good to have you. Everybody's looking forward to you being here and on and on. Well, he said, yes, thank you. But he said, I have a favor to ask of you. He said, okay. I want you to go back out there and preach that sermon again. I said, Joe, they don't want to hear me. They hear me every week. They want to hear you. He said, I know it, brother. I know it. He says, but there was a time, this is a man spent 50-something years on the road, a lot of times sleeping in his car. That was not known. It paid a real big price to be in ministry, which most real ministers do. I said, Jill, they don't want to hear me. They want to hear you. I want to hear you. I know. He says, but there was a time you could travel from one coast to the other. And every church preached messages like this. This is going back 30, almost 30 years ago. He said, but now you can't hear messages like that anymore is what he told me. So I'm asking you to go back out there and do it again. I was so reluctant. I said, oh, wow. I mean." So here I find myself saying, well, we have Joe Johnson with us, but he's not going to speak, so I'm going to preach to you. That's the power of the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. That even a man of God can hear it and say, he wants to hear it again, and he grew up on it. I didn't. He grew up on it. This is the importance of this message. And I'll tell you one last little anecdotal story, and then we're going to close in prayer. Some of you know that for seven years I was in prison ministry. And every weekend, we would go up on a Sunday, and we would do services in the men's penitentiary, in the jail, which was all men, and then in the women's penitentiary. It was three units, and we would go do services. I must tell you that it was a great relief whenever I heard those iron bars closing behind me, that within an hour or two or three, whatever it was I was in there, they would be opening back up again, and I'm out. Well, every so often we would do a service on a Saturday night and I would bring musicians with me that were in my church at the time, and of course I would preach. I'd be the preacher. Well, one night. In the men's penitentiary, if not the entire population, just about the entire population came out. There was not an empty seat anywhere. But what was unusual that night was that not only did the inmates come in and a few correction officers just, you know, watch things, but they all came in. So I really didn't know what to expect. Like there was going to be trouble. Not only the correction officers, but the bosses came in. Guys with the white shirts and the bars. They were all there. And I was preaching about Christ. I was preaching about the cross. I was preaching about the price and the very thing that I was saying to you about having a share in Christ and on and on and on. I'm telling you, you could hear a pin drop. For a preacher, that's when you know there's attention being paid by everybody. No shuffling of the feet. People aren't moving. The Holy Spirit moved on that message that night. And when I gave the altar call, and I said, well, who wants to come to Christ? If it wasn't everyone, I mean, the inmates themselves, it was nearly everyone just came up and crowded the platform where we were. But that wasn't the exciting part as much as it was watching the correction officers coming forward too. And there you have an illustration that all have sinned. Those behind bars and those that are not, all have sinned. One of the things I used to often tell inmates was this. I said, you may be innocent of the crime you're in jail here for. I said, but you're not innocent before God. And the COs would pick up on that. Sometimes I would make remarks to them too. That night, the captain, who happened to be a kind of hard nose, he was the kind of guy that used to tell COs that they're reading the Bible, put it away. You want to read Playboy? It's okay, but put your Bible away. That night, he spoke to one of his men. He said, I've never heard anything like that before. Now, whether he ever gave his heart to Christ or not, I don't know. But this is what we need. Amen. We need the preaching of the cross. We need the preaching of the blood. Away with this relevant stuff, whatever it means. We're not going to be putting up smoke machines here to entertain people. I grew up on that kind of music, kiss and all that stuff. We're going to be preaching Jesus. We're going to be preaching the word of God. We're going to have prayer meeting as we do on Sundays and Wednesdays and Fridays. We're going to continue to do what God has called us to do. And today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. Today is the day of salvation. Now, the book says, now is the accepted time. It's right now. It's right now. My question to you is this. Are you born again? And I would suggest... Even if you were water baptized someplace, sometime, made statement, filled out a form, were at a crusade, whatever, is to take that time, as the book tells us that. Read 2 Corinthians. Examine yourselves and prove yourself. That's in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, whether you were in the faith, except you be reprobate. It means you're not part of the inheritance. Let's go before the Lord this morning and pray. Let's see what God has in store for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's the question. Is today Jesus actually your shepherd? I shall not want. Then all the benefits that go along with truly knowing Jesus. Peace is one of them. Fearlessness is another. Joy. Love. So that's my question. Today, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? God, the saying goes, has no grandchildren. Only sons and daughters. You're born of the Spirit. If you are unsure, this would be a good time just to say to Christ, come into my heart, come into my life. And keeping in mind, just a little bit, and it was just a little bit you heard from this sixth chapter of Romans. Ask Christ to come into your heart. And let me say something to you both, brothers and sisters. When you're truly born again, do not ever, ever express any shame or embarrassment about being born of the Spirit about being a Christian. Never. Absolutely never. Father, I pray today on this baptismal Sunday, those who are going to be baptized, that they would fully appreciate this sixth chapter of Romans and much of it we didn't even read, that they would walk in a new life, that others would see the change, and it would make them thirsty, that they too would be part of having received Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Pour out of your spirit today, Father God, upon not only those that are sitting here in front of me, but those who have been watching by way of our live streaming, those that are listening by way of the radio. Help them, Father, all of them, to be born of your spirit and to know the peace of Christ and to have the blood of Jesus Christ expunge all the sins, every single one. We give you praise and we give you glory for these things today, God. For the rest of us sitting here who are born again, Help us, God, as David wrote, keep us back from presumptuous sins. Keep us back from little foxes. Keep us back from wasting time. Keep us going forward, going forward, always going forward. Plant our feet on higher ground. We give you the praise today, Father. We give you the glory. We give you the honor, for you are great. You are greatly to be praised. So, Father, we love you and we bless you this day. I ask you to bless the fellowship, the food that we're about to eat, but also to make this day to be what it always has been to me, a very special day being water baptized. And I just ask you to bless the rest of the time that we have together today. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. I'll see you downstairs.